0: Welcome to In Their Element, a fascinating new podcast series offering a revealing glimpse into the unfolding careers of passionate science grads from South Australia's number one uni for science, the University of Adelaide. In this episode, we're chatting with ecology graduate Jacob Marr. Jacob started off with a straight Bachelor of Science at the University of Adelaide, but entered into the BSc Advanced program after his first year. He graduated with a double degree in ecology and zoology with first class honors in environmental science. Such an interesting mix. I can't wait to share with you how he put this into practice. Jacob, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you so much for joining. So, before we start, we ask every guest on the show a little icebreaker. What is the coolest scientific fact or discovery you know of that you think needs a little moment of appreciation?
1: Ooh, well, that's an interesting question. I suppose as science is ever changing, these new sort of cool facts always come along but one thing i've been um, particularly taken by recently um, was that in mumbai there has been some correlations shown that the presence of uh, leopards in a um, in a large city park has reduced the instances of rabies in people living near the park so there's this incredibly dense population of leopards living in this national park in the like middle of Mumbai. There's like 40 leopards or something in this park. And they've been reducing the numbers of stray dogs around this park, um, which has then reduced the instances of dog bites and then reduced the instances of rabies in people living near the park. So, yeah, I, I just think that's pretty pretty interesting.
0: Oh my gosh, that's a great (laughs) fact to start with. (laughs) That's exactly what we look for, you know, is those instances of patterns out there that have, you know, like a butterfly effect onto others that affect our lives that you would never necessarily attribute to science.
1: Exactly. These, these you know, top order predators, predators are actually providing a ecosystem service that, you know, most people wouldn't even think would happen so it's um yeah it's pretty interesting stuff
0: mm. I even find that links to the whole concept of like all of us just want to get rid of spiders because we hate them but then realizing you know what would actually happen as a flow and effect of uh, doing that. yeah exactly they keep things in check in nature like yeah to think about that that's what you guys actually do
1: <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah, it's interesting to see and um, that sort of stuff uh, happening sort of in the um, the realm of sort of like urban ecology and stuff is quite interesting where uh, as we are sort of, you know, human-centric world expands, we kind of come in in contact with nature more often and, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting sort of stuff.
0: So I think that kind of leads really nicely into, you know, the world of ecology and how you got enticed into that. What actually is the body of science that is ecology. Like, explain, I know it's, you know, the relationship between organisms and their environment, but you mentioned then urban ecology as a specific type. So to the layperson outside of science, like myself, (laughs) what is the world of ecology and what does that actually mean?
1: Yeah, so you're, you're totally right. It's the study of sort of the interactions between life in the environment and the environment itself and that can be biotic or abiotic so living or non-living so it covers things from energy flow systems and the regulation of energy through the environment and how that affects other things but also the interactions between species or species in the physical environment it's it's quite broad really um it covers a lot and it's it's actually kind of one of the newer sort of fields of science relatively and it's and it's pretty well defined by its interdisciplinary approach um so yeah it looks at everything from life processes to interactions and the adaptations that uh animals and plants and fungi and viruses and everything else have with the environment. And, and then the movement of materials and energy through that system. And then the, the successional development of, of the environment in relation to that.
0: That's so cool. I think I pretty much just realized that all of those sort of puzzling questions out there, like the ones you just mentioned, that that's actually called ecology. Like yeah. I just put it together that that's what it, that is. It's <laughs> it just made the pretty,
1: pretty all consuming. <laughs> like it, it, it takes on so much and, and, it, and it interacts with the human world as well. So there, there are fields of human ecology, but the interaction between people and the environment is um, is massive and we have such a huge effect on the environment. So we're just a part, just as much a part of that as system as anything else. So, yeah.
0: And does urban ecology mean sort of bringing that out of just the fields and, you know, the natural environment and into cities like densely populated areas?
1: yeah um so it's 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 taking that and looking at it in the urban environment. so seeing how the environment that we create for ourselves and and what things thrive in that environment as well and and how we can thrive in that environment too, because we've only been living in these sort of dense populated places relatively recently in terms of history. So uh, seeing how that all interacts is 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 pretty interesting stuff.
0: I read that you actually started off in zoology and genetics, but then swapped to ecology. So talk us through how, you know, when you were younger, you originally became interested in science more broadly, and then started to distinguish your interests between those fields and why the change?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So yeah, I was always interested in animals, um, especially as a kid. I think that's sort of a natural fascination that a lot of people hold. Um, I just sort of never really Really lost it I guess I kind of just kept being interested in that sort of thing and so when I got to university I thought what might pair well with zoology would be genetics and mm. it certainly does but then I started having some introduction to ecology and the ideas of ecology and I was very much attracted to a sort of holistic viewpoint um, and seeing how everything interacts and these complex systems that just completely drew me in I I liked how it, it combines so many disciplines um, into such an interesting field so that's sort of what led me down that path was how interconnected things can be and I think also a sense of wanting to do what I could and help the environment and I saw ecology as being probably one way that I could best serve the planet, so to speak. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Well, you did a really cool honours thesis too, sort of showing that application of the skill set that you ended up with yeah. by combining zoology with uh, ecology on the changing conservation role of Australian zoos through time and yeah. were awarded the top prize. So congratulations oh, on you. that project. <laughs> and I think that gives us a really good understanding of how in practice your skills become really relevant.
1: Yeah, so I suppose one aspect of ecology is conservation. So we, you know, we look to protect and help species in the environment that may be at risk, whether it be due to human influence or something else. But there's always um, work to be done in that that field. And one of those players in conservation are zoos. So zoos can be places where species conservation can be conducted on a scale of internally or externally. They can provide services um, externally by protecting wildlife habitat. They can um, have breeding programs which they can do within the zoo. But they can also help in terms of education, educating the public to the plight of these um, species, and uh, they can also be, yeah, sort of a genetic bank for at-risk species. So my honours thesis was looking at how zoos have fulfilled that role and or are moving into that role of becoming these places of conservation. Zoos were originally menageries, so basically just collections of animals that were kept by rich people for... for for entertainment and then they became sort of more public places again for entertainment you would go to a zoo to you know see the lion and you know have a lovely day out and obviously that's still kind of what people do but Zoos are trying to move towards becoming these institutions of conservation and um, education. So basically, I took the collection demographics of uh, of these zoos in Australia and I looked at them through time to see what kinds of species they were holding and how that changed and to see if that was reflecting conservation ideals. So I wanted to see if they were holding more threatened species. I wanted to see if they were holding more native species, because if we hold native species in our zoos, we can achieve conservation more effectively because we're not as far removed from the environment where that species exists. So it's much more effective to help the conservation of a species that's like the yellow footed rock wallaby. Um, that lives in the Flinders Ranges, we can, we could breed them up here and then we could release them there without too much trouble. If we have, you know, the African white rhino, we could breed up a bunch here, but getting a bunch of rhinos to Africa is a pretty, pretty significant undertaking. So I, I wanted to see how that reflected in the Australian zoos. And I also wanted to see how the collections change in regards to some life history traits. So some, just some Uh, things about animals so it it ended up being basically the body mass um, of animals because it's more cost effective to house smaller species and smaller species also do better in captivity than larger species so if you have a lion you know this this animal probably uh, walks um you know many many kilometers a day for its food, or it has such a huge range, and that's pretty hard to replicate in a zoo. We have open plain zoos that we can do that sort of thing in, but it's, it's much less effective than, say, housing a, a small frog, which could live in a enclosure quite happily, breed quite well, and you could keep it, yeah, much more effectively than a, a large animal. And then the other thing I looked at was um, charisma. So there's this thing, people may have heard this term called charismatic megafauna. What we would typically call like something like a lion, a panda, these big mammals that um, we consider to be quite charismatic, people like them. There's a lot of public interest in them. So looking at whether or not zoos were um, sort of leaning towards holding species that people like to see and seeing if, yeah, they're holding them in, I guess, in instead of holding species that actually might need conservation. Obviously, these two things inter, intersect quite a bit. Um, a lot of these large megafauna are at risk, but there are, there's significant investment into those species, and I wanted to see if zoos were also looking to hold threatened species that may not be considered charismatic in my opinion we can't be playing favorites when it comes to conservation but we 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 whether or not we realize it or not we we put certain species on pedestals and we invest a significant amount of money into certain things and and not others so I just wanted to see how that how that changed in the zoos through time yeah
0: I'm never going to look at a panda again without thinking yeah. about how charismatic his personality is. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's it's in, it's that sort of study is interesting as well. The um the psychology behind all that. So the reason we might be um interested in certain species is because we we identify with them more closely. We might be interested because we consider them actually quite dangerous, or You know, just different features that um, we look to in animals and sometimes we see ourselves in them. So we want to help
0: them out. (laughs) Well, I mean, watching the pandas lying on their backs just eating all day, I definitely (laughs) identify with them. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. So then when you got into the workforce, I was just looking at the list of different things that you've been able to do and it does reflect how broad ecology actually is. Mm. So. Talk us through some of the things you were doing most recently. Mm. Like, I was reading about native seed collection and then Mm -hmm. uh, working for the city. Well, firstly, you came back to the university for research, but then also worked for the city of Adelaide in sustainability. So, what were some of the other professional applications? of
1: your work? Uh, well, yeah. So probably my first, I call it my first real job. Like the first uh, job I got with my degree was actually some research at um, Adelaide University. Uh, and that was in the um, South Seas Ecology Lab. I was looking at, um, it, it was quite interesting. I was actually sort of moving into an area of um, social science as well. So I was looking at the Spencer Gulf region. So that's the That's the area, that body of water between the York Peninsula and the Eyre Peninsula. And this is sort of like a pretty important economic region for the state of South Australia. And they wanted to see how developmental impacts may affect the communities around there. So, and when I talk about communities, I mean the human communities. So, using kind of what I had learned in my honours, I looked, I was again looking kind of at demographic analysis so the traits of or the features of certain populations and and how that differs and how that might affect how able they are to adapt to a new environment whether or not that be an environmental change or an economic change or a social change so I was yeah that's what I was doing in that that role and then after that i i actually ended up doing a bit of work for the natural resources management board i did a bit of um, contract work for them just helping putting out some educational stuff around biodiversity and sustainability in the urban environment into local libraries so that was a fun little project i worked on and then after that i moved into yeah the native seed collection so yeah, ecology work can vary a lot. It can be—you could be at your desk all day sitting on a computer, and that's what happened when I was um, working at the University of Adelaide for that project, uh, that research project. But yeah, then when I was working at this um, place for native seed collection, um, I was outside every day. We would uh, go to certain sites, um, find and identify native local species, and collect seed from them, which would then be processed and used to in um, revegetation projects. So like mine sites, uh, wind farms, just re- rehabilitating mainly in the arid areas. Um,
0: I just can't believe how broad the amount of different projects you've already worked on has been. <laughs> it's so fascinating yeah. and it makes it really hard to imagine actually how you prepare for it in a study sense. Like what was your actual degree like? Mm. And why did you choose the University of Adelaide for this specific degree? I know it has like such an amazing reputation in the sciences and the advanced program. You know, the fact that that exists in itself would have been a draw card as well. Mm. Tell us about what that involved and, and then there are so many electives I saw, like what did you choose and what was your pathway in the three years of your your degree at the University of Adelaide?
1: Yeah, so um, I think I was attracted to studying at Adelaide because of the range of subjects they offered in biological sciences was, was very good. That was something I was very attracted to. And I think part of the reason I was attracted to Adelaide was partly for its history, the um, the work that had been done at the university is um, extensive and and just the location as well. I thought it would be such an interesting place to go. The middle of the city, it sort of like brings so many people from so many different backgrounds to one place and I've just met a lot of really interesting people while I was studying there. So I think that's part of the reason why it's such an um, interesting place to, to study. I think that the work that's being done at Adelaide is um Yeah, really interesting in terms of ecology with some pretty interesting approaches um, and new technologies that are being utilised.
0: Oh, that's so cool. And I think one of the other things that has been mentioned a lot of times is how much practical experience you can get. Yeah. As you mentioned, there's, of course, you know, a lot of work necessarily that involves sitting down and being in labs, but Mm. you guys have access to the um, South Australian Museum and State Herbarium. There's like so many, I mean, there's a co-located Environmental Institute. There's so many places you can go and get your hands dirty, literally.
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and and for my entire duration while i was at the university of adelaide i i was i was volunteering at the museum so to have that resource literally on like the back doorstep or the front doorstep of um the university is 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 fantastic and um i actually got a job there which i um I still do casually, um, which is an uh, information officer.
0: That's so cool. Yeah, so there's this
1: public interaction spot in the Adelaide Museum. It's called the Discovery Centre and people can bring things in to have identified, people bring things in to donate and people just come in to ask questions. And it's a, it's a pretty cool little room up there. We've got some uh, microscopes and there's a beehive, with um, which you can look into and everything. And so the kids love it and there's some live animals and stuff, but it's just like a really good way to sort of actually have some interaction with the museum if you're ever interested in in going there and asking some questions.
0: Yeah well next time I'm in Adelaide I'll pop by and have a visit. (laughs) What about, uh, you mentioned just before a couple of the kind of tech and, uh, Mm. you know, applications of new technology in ecology that have been changing the way that things happen. So satellite imagery, it's like, you know, spatial simulation modeling, all those things. I looked at that and didn't know what any of them meant. So (laughs) do you want to tell us a bit more about the way that tech is changing the industry as well?
1: Yeah, sure. So as you said, one of the big areas that's used is with satellite technology and things like GIS, which is geographic information systems that utilizes satellite and aerial photography, as well as like thermal imaging to get a picture of the environment from an aerial perspective. So you can Basically, with a lower amount of effort cover, you know, a, a, a bigger area, so to speak. So in ecology, often a, a way for looking at the environment and looking at populations is you can you could go out there and physically draw out these transects. So like basically a line and you would go along and you could record each species at that point it's a very labor intensive way of looking at a large like large scale environment so using things like GIS we can look at huge areas of the land and environment and and the sea and and we can map that out and we can look at these environments um, on a Scale without having to put in the huge amount of effort that it would take to spatially present that. Um, gosh, if we that were would going be game out there changing walking around, yeah, it's a bit of a game changer. So, there's that sort of stuff, and then other technologies definitely come into play as the use of drones as well. The use for drones is, it keeps surprising me what they do with it. I mean, I've seen things where they'll send drones over rainforest habitat to identify places where orangutans might be able to have habitat so they could identify how how good a habitat it is for a certain species or something. On the other hand, they've got things like drones, like a couple of years ago, They had this uh, robotic drone on the Great Barrier Reef that was killing. Would go around and kill these uh, invasive starfish called uh, crown of thorns. So this, like, basically, this robot would sort of swim around and um, inject these starfish, which feed on coral polyps. Would inject them with a a toxin to kill them, and yeah, just and help the to help the coral rebuild. I think the other big area, which is worth mentioning, would be genetics. So genetics can be used very effectively in ecology as well. So, yeah, I I went down that route of zoology and ecology, but I had um, several people in my cohort who went down the ecology and genetics route. And they've they've gone into some pretty interesting stuff where you can look at the uh, um, use genetics to look at the micro or macro environment and even things like bio tagging where you can you can take samples from a body of water and you could probably and, and identify multiple species that are living in there just from trace genetic material in that water and so you could rather than Going and finding everything that's living in that lake or in that pond or whatever, you can you could take a sample and uh, do genetic analysis to see what's actually living in there, and we can do that as well on our um on our own sort of microbiome level as well. So yeah, it's the, the scale of it is pretty interesting. So you could see what sort of ecosystems are living within you as well. So and that's and that's when it sort of starts to get into the health side of things as well.
0: Gosh, ecologists who used to have to troll through lakes and rivers must think wow what a waste of time.
1: Yeah so I think I think the the great things of technology in ecology is that we're trying to be less invasive with our techniques so part of what we want to do is protect the environment so these new technologies are allowing us to be completely non-invasive and we can look at these things from afar. Obviously we there's still merit in being able to go out there and measure everything exactly and collect things like that. But, um, yeah, a lot we can do from from an outside view.
0: I was going to ask next what else you could have done with your degree and what some of your peers had done, but I think you've kind of just explained that and how many mm. different things that they could have gone on to do.
1: Yeah, it's, it's super broad just with every different type of ecosystem there's a different type of ecologist for that and some people are yeah definitely sort of looking into that um that space of ecosystems and the effect on human health and yeah there's there's all sorts of interesting interactions so yeah like i said it's very interdisciplinary so it sort of pops up everywhere
0: what would you say of that incredibly broad field is your ultimate ecology dream Mm. like if you had all the money and all the people resources and, and tech resources and everything in the world what's a problem or a discovery that you would ultimately love to be part of your career
1: yeah oh that's a that's a tough one um I think one thing I've always um sort of wanted to contribute to or wanted to help with is working on ways to help with the amphibian extinction crisis so amphibians globally are sort of one of the most at-risk animal groups and there's this condition well there's this disease sort of called um cryptidid um chytridid mycosis which is a fungal infection that um affects amphibians so basically this fungus gets into their skin and amphibians like frogs they they use their skin a lot to um they use it to breathe and to take up water it's a very permeable membrane for them and so when this fungus gets in there it basically breaks that down and they and they can't function well and they and they die so amphibians globally are are sort of facing this this threat amongst other things and i've always sort of wanted to work towards um, helping resolve some issues in that field in some respects. So, yeah.
0: Oh, wow. I think that's such a cool reminder that, you know, scientists, when you do make a discovery in your work or when you do solve a problem like that, it's such a tangibly obvious global scale result. That's so cool to sort of, Mm. you know, view the project, like the actual kind of product of your work so visibly in the environment around you. Yeah. And what would you say, just to finish up, to people who don't think science is for them because I think yeah. we all have this real misconception of how, you know, narrow or, you know, how lab-based scientists are, but really I think you're the perfect example of the fact that it can be the complete opposite if you want it to be.
1: Yeah, oh, totally. It's it's just so broad, like to me – it. <laughs> When people say they don't like science, it's like you're saying you don't like art. It's just so versatile, and I just think we all are scientists anyway, generally. So whether you like it or not, you benefit from science, and you and the world benefits from science, and and you're a scientist yourself. So. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd take a second look at it. And, you know, it, it's not all lab coats and lab experiments and things like that. But even though that's cool as well. But yeah, it's, it's certainly a very, very broad, broad field. And there's something for everyone in it.
0: you're uh, not the first person who said that everyone is a scientist
1: (laughs) (laughs) no and I won't be the last
0: I wouldn't have believed you at the start of this podcast but now I'm increasingly (laughs) convinced that I'm a scientist I could totally do that
1: Uh, it's just the questions you ask yourself every day as well I think Um, science can help with so many things so yeah we we use it it's it science is just the observation of the world and 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 you know how we can fit into it and our, our interpretation of it so It's um, whether you like it or not, you're you're doing it every day.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for that wonderful perspective, Jacob, and for sharing your time and wisdom.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to In Their Element. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing it to you. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the series and we'll send you an alert the moment our next episode drops. And more importantly, if the career path you've heard about here appeals to you, jump on the Uni of Adelaide website today to learn all about the science degrees that can get you there. Until next time, bye-bye.